This is Jenny Hatch, and I am your host at the Unredacted After Show Chat. Glenn Greenwald and Q just finished up the Unredacted Show. Show is dedicated to continuing the conversation. So I thought I would just begin by sharing a few thoughts, and then I will open up the room to the callers and a conversation. I was disheartened to hear Q especially, but also glad sharing what I perceived communist talking points as they discussed the history of the terrorism situation. And I am someone who is a anti-communist who has spent a lot of time reading the literature around the issues tied to the war on terror and the various ins and outs of our interactions with Marxists and those who love freedom. And in the show notes on this page, I have put a list to all of my favorite books on these topics. And the first book I'd like to point to is Red Notice, which was written by a man named Bill Browder who was raised in America as what's termed a red diaper baby. And this is someone who grows up in a home where the parents, the grandparents are diehard communists and his were. And as he became an adult, he determined that he wanted to be a capitalist. And so he went to Europe and he was instrumental in helping to set up the free markets in Russia. And he worked with a young attorney named Magnitsky. And they were up against a wall in terms of the oligarchs who had stepped forward in Russian economic circles and were in the process of looting the country. And Putin was a part of this. And Bill Browder uh, stood up against these people and so did his attorney. And the attorney was arrested and tortured and eventually killed in prison. And so Bill Browder's book is the the backstory of that and sharing what happened. And so for Q to make the claim that, you know, America, Americans did nothing to help the Russians as they were breaking up the Soviet Union, it's just not true. There were Americans who were passionate about helping Russia to set up a free market and stock markets and start the flow of money coming into and out of the country. And they were sort of um, stopped in their tracks by these oligarchs. And the oligarchs are still a big problem in Ukraine and Russia and that territory. And we're seeing that as part of this Ukraine war. But I'd also point to these other books that I shared the links to. Perhaps my favorite book was written by Cleon Skousen, and it's called The Naked Communist. And in this book, he really helps to cut through the propaganda and the lies and just point out what a communist is and how they function 
how they have functioned, especially in the years leading up to the civil rights movement and how they have, they took over the schools in America, especially higher ed. And then the next book is The Red Thread, which was a book that outlines that the people who came out the hardest against President Trump all have this, this communist background and affinity for various communists like Saul Alinsky. And so this red thread written by Diana West, who's an investigative journalist, it's a quick read, but it's excellent to just give you the, the background of the people like James Comey and others that you wouldn't expect have this, this Marxist background, but there it is in their history. And then the next book I shared the link to was written by a man named Ian Pasipa, who was a defector from Soviet Romania. And he wrote a book called Red Horizons and also Disinformation, wherein he shared the tactics that were used against the West to propagandize and disinform through the media and other tactics about what the goals really were with the Marxists who were trying to take over various countries. The next book is the third This book was written by a woman named Jaina Davis, who was the first person on the scene as a journalist after the Oklahoma City bombing. And she claimed that there was an Iraqi soldier who was involved with the two Americans in taking down the Oklahoma City bombing. And she wrote her book, The Third Terrorist. It did not get hardly any play in America at the time. President Clinton needed a domestic incident to help him rise in the polls, and it did. He needed to do something about the militias that were forming all over the country. And having this this terrorist incident gave him the power to stamp out many of the militias that had been forming. These militia members had been hearing rumors about young interns being molested in the White House and the various shenanigans that were going on with his presidency. And they had started to rise up and he used the Oklahoma City incident to squash it. And yet here's this Jaina Davis claiming that there was a member of Saddam's Republican Guard And so that has never really been flushed out. Another of my favorite authors is Zhang Cheng, who wrote the book Wild Swans and also Mao, The Unknown Story, which is the definitive biography of Mao Zedong. And I love her books because she grew up in a communist household in China. Both of her parents were high up in the Communist Party. And she had a bird's eye view of the ins and outs and was personal friends with various members of the intelligentsia and the elites in communist China. And then she defected and went to the West and wrote her books. And these two books are also some of the most definitive books on Marxism and how it operates and how they use propaganda and all these tactics to get their police state and their top-down control in place. And these are the types of books that I have studied. And I know that there were callers to the show just now mentioning people like the author of that 
people's history, Howard Zinn, who he never, ever admitted he was a communist. And then he died, and it's like, oh, and by the way, yeah, he was a Communist Party member throughout his whole life. And he has spoon-fed our children at the university and lower levels of education all of this swill about how America has been this imperialist, evil, evil force, and we're just all about controlling other countries and whatnot. And they talked about him like he was a good guy. And so I sat here listening for the last hour and a half feeling somewhat frustrated because my take on things is very, very different than the history that was just outlined by Q and Glenn. And because they're coming at it from the left, there is this bias against certain things that are sacred to me. And I hold a deep bias against anyone who starts using communist talking points. I do not believe that it has been fairly reported how many citizens were murdered by communist entities throughout the 20th century. And when you have people saying, well, I just don't see it, I just don't hear about it, it's because you're not looking for it and it's not being presented to you by your Marxist professors and teachers and the schools. You have to go finding it. You have to go look for the books. And so I share these books with you in the, in the hope of just having a deeper dialogue about what's really going on than what I perceive to be a lot of disinformation and propaganda. You know, Q was talking very passionately about the Palestinian people. And yet he's not willing to talk about how Saddam was paying $30,000 to the Palestinian people every time one of their kids went and blew themselves up in a Jewish marketplace in Israel. So, this was a thing. They were doing it all the time. They would get this kid to go suicide themselves in a marketplace, and then the family gets $30,000 from Saddam Hussein. That's a problem. And so this notion that, that Saddam was just running his socialist paradise and all was well with him and his two sons in charge of the government, no, he was creating a lot of mayhem in the region, and I believe he was involved in the Oklahoma City bombing. That's what I saw and what I, what I heard in real time when it happened. And nobody can question that there was some weirdness around the trial of Timothy McVeigh. They moved it to Denver. What was that all about? Why didn't they hold it in Oklahoma? Why was he executed so fast? There's a lot of questions still that remain about what role he paid played, who was paying him, and what was going on around that building coming down. So I'm someone who I I just like to think I'm open-minded enough to say the machinations around warfare and terrorism are much broader and deeper than they appear. And I definitely lean towards the right in my observations in terms of the Marxist juggernaut that we've been dealing with and frankly are still grappling with in our institutions. And so I, I just would love to talk to you about this. And uh, John, would you like to come up as my next caller? That would be awesome. 
What do you think? Can you hear me? I can. Thank you for calling. I'd love to hear your views. Well, um, we we have very different views, and um, you know the media should have us, or not should would have us uh, despising one another. But um, I I too had some problems with um, the whole Oklahoma City bombing. Um, sort of the the way in which the case was kind of, uh, you know, they had no idea, and then they, you know, constructed this case, um, and it seemed reasonable and everything else. But um, I never heard the of any Iraqi uh, connection. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, this idea... Um, Clearly, you've uh, been reading some things like, for instance, that Bill Browder. It sounded familiar. I Googled him and, um, you know, I came up very quickly with uh, sort of what I remembered. Bill Browder was one of these people who rushed into uh, Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union and uh, was uh, making big money. and. Um, then it appears that um, he was kind of rooted out uh, and um, then he went on a, uh, you know, multi-year tantrum uh, against Russia and, you know, putting himself forth as a uh, fighter of corruption and so forth. Well, you know, he went in there, he did what he was doing, and then I guess he lost it because the state kind of kicked him out. And um, well, he was, I like to hear from people their firsthand account, firsthand accounts. And so I would really encourage you to read his book. It was so well fleshed out and what his goals were and why he was there, why he was kicked out, why his attorney was murdered. It, it's really a great read. So there's a lot about him on the Internet. The, the Russians were very angry at him. Yeah, but, you know, I'm not. I'm not seeing that like this is like Russian disinformation or anything. This is, you know, coming from like Americans, you know, uh, what is this website? I'll tell you. The wall will fall. Dot org. Um, but in any case, you know, we see things, uh, fairly differently. Um, as you know, what what I'm wondering is, given our different perspectives on things, um, do you not see any hypocrisy in the media in the coverage of the this uh, Ukrainian war versus the coverage of the Iraq war? In fact, I remember, you know, really taking uh, an interest in news during uh, the first. Gulf War. And then I slipped out of it. I was busy, you know, chasing my whatever capitalist dream, if you will. And um, but then the second uh, war, um, the one after 9-11 came and um, we were treated to a sort of nonstop 
display of of fireworks and military power and terminology like precision airstrikes, we were never shown any grieving mothers or dead children. But of course, we sent um, in one day, the very first day of the Iraq war after 9-11, we sent more bombs than, uh, you know, the first uh, 24, 25 days of, of uh, this uh, war. Yeah, they so, called it shock and awe. I remember. I yeah. Had, I had a keen, a keen interest in that war because my own brother was there serving. And so I followed it very closely for his sake. And... and- I hope he came back. Did he come back? He did. He's an attorney. He was in the JAG Corps. And he had deployed from Germany where his wife and sons were living. And just before he went into Iraq, and it was about a year after the war started, probably like 2003, 2004, somewhere somewhere in there is when he went, a whole helicopter full of his fellow attorneys had been shot down in Iraq. And so these were his friends and colleagues and knowing that this had happened and then he's there working in the green zone it was very frightening for me to just think about him being in so much danger so i did follow the war closely especially in the early years and i even went so far as to join free republic which is an online group that was participating in pro-war demonstrations we would go to the anti-war demonstrations and counter-demonstrate. And then I wrote many passionate blog posts in support of the war because I really, I really didn't have the understanding of um, how, you know, we're manipulated into war. I didn't, I didn't get it back then. Okay. And so, so now you feel very differently. I take it now that you've learned that they had no weapons of mass destruction and that there was a whole heck of a lot of manipulations going on that our media participated in. Well, I'm open to the idea that somebody like Ian Pasipa, who I mentioned his book, Red Horizons and Disinformation, like I said, he was the top person to defect from Romania. And in those books, he introduced the idea that, yes, indeed, Saddam Hussein did have weapons of mass destruction. He used chemical weapons on the Kurds. And he had a plan that if it ever came to it, when American inspectors would come in and and look and find things, that he had this whole plan in place to dump the nukes in the river and hide everything and cover it up. And so I don't know. I mean, is is Ian Pasipa a double agent and he was just writing his books to mess with people like me? I don't know. uh, I, I I can think that, you know, I can believe that some people sincerely believe the nonsense that they wrote, okay? But the fact of the matter is that after this this whole thing went for years and years, and it was looked into and looked into and looked into, and, um, you know, it turns out that all of this stuff was exaggerated, that Saddam had gotten rid of whatever weapons he had and whatever stuff they found was like old crap that wasn't even usable anymore. It's like, you know, all of this stuff was, you know, to justify this war. And now they're doing the same damn thing. 
And this is what these guys were talking about. They're doing the same exact thing that, you know, uh, Putin is this uh, Hitlerian, you know, villain. And and I don't I'm not saying Putin's a good guy. I think he's a, a dictator. OK, um, well, so does Bill Browder. Yeah, that, that like, for instance, that this was unprovoked. Have you seen what's happened since the 90s that there's like 11 countries surrounding Russia? You know, are you aware that Ukraine is the path by which both Hitler and Napoleon before him had attacked Russia? Yeah, I'm following that side of the story very closely. And that is where I do agree with Glenn and Q. I do think there's a ton of manipulation happening in the media. I'm much more primed to see it and accept it. I feel horrible for the Ukrainian people. I do. I feel that way for anybody. But I I guess what I'm wondering is, do you think that we're we're coming at it from a different perspective? I'm I wouldn't say I'm communist, but I'm anti-capitalist for sure. But um, do you think that uh, people are going to begin to wake up? Because this is only, you know, uh, 20 years ago, the Iraqi war, um, you know, and um, so so many. It's not like we're talking about Vietnam and people can argue things and this and that. The other thing, it's like we know what happened. We know what happened. We know about, for instance, how they've treated our veterans. You know, um, they exposed them to all kinds of toxic chemicals, let alone all the depleted uranium we, you know, shot all over the country. You know, um, and, and so these guys are are sick, and you know they've acted as though, oh well, we don't know. It's like it's like Agent Orange all over again. Yeah, I, I saw a story yesterday that talked about how some Ukrainians were claiming that their local military had held them hostage and were making them make false claims. And so there's there's stories already shaking out through social media about the Ukrainian military engaging in some, some not-so-good behavior. And many of them are, in fact, Nazis. And so yeah. I, th- I think when people who are really rooting for them recognize who they're rooting for, and I, I do think people every day are like, okay, wait, wait am I re- really rooting for this Nazi group? I don't think I am, you know. Um, there the is thing. that. Jenny, there's one thing that you may not be aware of, and, and I am at least aware of this. For instance, Tucker Carlson has talked about this and I usually have a lot of trouble watching Tucker Carlson. But in fact, as far as neo-Nazi groups are concerned, this stuff has been documented. But if you look at, if you're somebody who watches MSNBC, which I tend to do, um, but I'm getting so disgusted with them because this idea of neo-Nazis is like such taboo to them. And like, for instance, like Glenn Greenwald is one of the few people who will like talk about this. Another one is uh, Aaron Mate. And these are like really super liberal people, you know, but the truth of the matter is there are neo-Nazis in the Ukraine. There are neo-Nazis in Poland. And if you simply like go to YouTube and, you know, put Ukraine and neo-Nazis, you'll find them quickly or put Poland and 
and Nazi. You know, you, you'll find things that go back many years, you know, uh, as these groups were beginning to rise up. And yeah, um, I've, seen, I've seen some of that in some of the interviews that, that Glenn Greenwald has done. It's honestly why I love him so much, because I think he does see things incredibly clearly. And he's so courageous with his words. Um, and I've been glad that Tucker, I think Tucker's like the only one on Fox who's been willing to go there. And so it has been wonderful to see. My big question is, um, was the Oliver Stone documentary about Ukraine real? I mean, I watched this the other night and he published it, I guess, like four years ago. I actually haven't seen that one. I've just oh, only recently become yeah. aware of it. And you got to uh, watch it because he <laughs> made the case. He interviewed an attorney who was big, high up in the Ukrainian government back in 2014. And this man made the case that it was Biden as vice president under Obama, Victoria Nuland, and all of their little deep state crowd who brought in that coup in Ukraine. They funded it. They manipulated it. And then that president in Ukraine in 2014 was absolutely a puppet. And then they started to gut the country financially. And that's where you see the Burisma scandals with Hunter Biden and well, all of this. And I agree with you. I agree with you there. And this is the same thing in the left wing media. You were not allowed to talk about Hunter Biden's laptop. This was verboten. And they actually like took down, like I think the New York Post or, you know, somebody you wouldn't expect kind of actually broke that story. And then, of course, it was, you know. Uh, they called it Russian disinformation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and, you know, I know that there is a there there with Biden's Hunter Biden's laptop. And it's clear that even save the laptop, you know, there he was getting paid big bucks for like what running around with prostitutes and snorting coke, lots of coke. Like, it wasn't just Hunter either. It was the son of uh, Nancy Pelosi. Her son Paul was there working for a gas company and other oh, politicians. I haven't heard that one, but I'm I'm so disgusted with Pelosi. I've been telling my dad for years that. I think she's a double agent, like, because she acts like she's this and that and the other thing. And yet every time it comes down to getting something done for the American people, she just comes up short, you know. Yeah. No, she's been a horrifying, horrifying Speaker of the House. I, I look forward to the day when all of these scandals are just out there and people understand it. And I do think we're getting some big movement with the Hunter Biden laptop because the New York Times just recently put out a story where they said no it's it was legitimately Hunter's laptop they verified that you're you're right and I was happy that that came out because I even was saying this too um and probably because I think Glenn Greenwald actually had um you know reported some on this uh or had talked about it somehow um and I was saying this like to my family and they're like oh no but, the, you know, like, for instance, like, I didn't vote for Trump. I did jo vote for Joe Biden, but I was literally holding my nose the whole time because there was no choice given. Um, but prior to that, when it was uh, Trump versus Hillary, I didn't vote for Hillary either because I feel like 
although she was, you know, technically the most qualified person ever, she was also uh, the worst Democratic candidate we've ever put out there. And that's because, you know, of the corruption of the like the other things they would never talk about in the liberal media was the um, they were so, uh, you know, carried away with the email server and this and that. And it was never, you know, what they should have been talking about was not Hillary's emails so much as the Podesta emails, which basically laid out the fact that Hillary was pimping out this country for a million dollars a pop to any two-bit dictator that had the money. Absolutely. And that Ukraine made the largest donation of any country to the Clinton Foundation. And, you know, what's that all about? What were they expecting back from Hillary? for their money. I mean, that, I think that, the corruption around all this just is so deep and so wide. I, we well, have a lot in common, Ukraine, believe me. It, it doesn't pass the sniff test because we've been the ones giving money to Ukraine. So Ukraine giving money to the Clinton campaign, they may have, and, and they probably did. Like, you know, if you want to play, you have to pay when it's when it's the Clintons, period. But um, I'm pretty well, sure... I'm pretty sure the Saudis and, you know, other uh, people with deep po- deeper pockets than Ukraine spent more money. It just maybe hasn't been documented. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you showed up, John, to talk. Usually it's just me giving a little, you know, commentary on what well, they I, do. And it, I think we do have a lot more in common than we, well, you know. We, we agree on a lot of things, but the media would have us like we can't even talk to each other. And yet we've found multiple areas of agreement, you know. Um, well, and I'm even open to the idea that my history is off and was propaganda. But I shared it in the sense that, you know, people like me, I'm in my 50s, you know, of goodwill. I, I really do have a good heart. And I believed in the war. I believed in the Iraqi war. I believed that we were doing good. And there are a lot of people like me who were seduced into thinking that way. And if we were wrong, I'm willing to own it. Well, but- and even, even people like, like my family, when, when Colin Powell died and they did this whole, uh, you know, uh, rehabilitation, you know, uh, production uh, in the liberal media, uh, my sister says to me, oh, I felt bad because, and my sister's like super liberal, right? Says, I felt bad because he did so much good for the black universities. And I said, may he burn in hell? Because what I remember about Colin Powell is I'm an anti-war person. And when the buildup to the Iraqi war was coming, I kept feeling like, well, you know, they're not proving their case. They're not proving their case. And then Colin Powell went and spoke at the United Nations, and I watched that. And I did too. I watched it live, and he and did. He he was the one who convinced the American people. He did. I absolutely feel like he was the one. And you know, so you know, he now he, he's responsible. Uh, Bush is responsible. I think uh, Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld were even more responsible than Bush because I don't think. Bush was really running the show. Um, and for evidence, I submit that when 9-11 happened, they flew Bush right back to the White House. But Dick Cheney was um, at an undisclosed location for weeks. Do you remember that? 
Yeah, and what's up with the Bin Laden family being flown out of the U.S. Oh, that man. day? I mean, there were so many little scandals around 9-11. Talk about much in the media. Like, you know, the fact that, yeah, all these Bin Laden members were quickly, no planes could fly, but they had one running, running around, the one or two maybe, that ran around and picked up all the Bin Laden family and whisked them out of the country. Um, you know, so tell me that there wasn't some kind of um, collusion maybe before the fact. But then again, if you say anything like that, oh, you're 9-11 conspiracy theory, you know, and, know. And, and even so, you know, the fact is, you know, steel buildings do not the steel in these buildings does not melt at the temperatures that you know the uh jet fuel I've, I've read the reports from the the builders and uh you know i've definitely watched some of the documentaries loose change mm-hmm. and, and larry silverstein and his building seven you know, yeah. I, I've I've seen these things, and so I have many questions about what happened that day and who was doing what and what was the goal. And honestly, I think the prince? goal was to just sell the world on the idea that there's these terrorists and we have to go deal with them. And then the military-industrial complex just made a ton of money. Yeah, and there, and this is why the media is busy, like pushing, like. You don't hear anybody talking about, you know, what can we do to to reach the peace? What can we do? Who can talk to Putin to to help, you know, uh, find something in common that we can we can begin to reduce the violence? You don't hear any of this. It's all let's send more weapons. Let's you know, why can't we? Did you see for like two days or something? They kept asking uh, that. uh Pisaki, like, you know, why don't we do a no-fly zone? <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it was it was crazy. It's definitely crazy, and it's especially crazy because the left, they used to be so anti-war. And right. It's like, it's like they're just, you know, I don't get it. Because the, Because the left media is pushing this the hardest right now. You know, see, in after 9-11, all the media went the same direction. They all wanted to, you know, do something. Let's bomb somebody. Let's, you know, get even. And um, so, you know, they got to do what they wanted to do. Um, but um, like, like, for instance, you know, the one thing that it, this uh, whole thing reminded me of was um, – the day that uh, it, it was a you know Sunday news show you know talk show day, and um, they all were talking about the mushroom cloud. So it was Condi on this channel, and Don Rumsfeld on this channel, and Dick Cheney on this one, and they were all saying you know the same line, like it was so obvious that it was like completely choreographed bullshit, you know. Oh, they definitely, definitely had their talking points. And I think so many of us were just terrorized by seeing the towers come down. We just wanted to know that somebody was, was going to do something, you know, yeah. it made us feel safe. I, I know it made me feel safer. 
Well, the, the funny thing is, like, we knew where bin Laden was, and the Taliban actually wanted to give him up because the Taliban understood that, you know, America, you know, the, the you know, bear has been poked or whatever. And, um, you know, they wanted to give him up. But no, we turned away from that because of this push for the Iraq war. Yeah, I remember that. I saw a documentary called The Path to 9-11, and they talked about how they knew exactly where he was and, you know, ready to go and then backed away. So I I, I look forward to the day when all of this is just exposed and we know the real truth. Well, I I look forward to a day, and this is what I'm hoping for, because it's getting so ridiculous in the media. Like, for instance, they they banned um, RT, and not only banned them, but like, you know, took them down everywhere they were. So all the YouTube videos, thousands of videos, you know, uh, were just taken down at once. Um, And, you know, RT had some, uh, you know, besides whatever one wants to say, one could not say that RT was a liberal or left or communist, you know, um, it, yes, it was Russia today, but their, their whole point was, Let's throw everything at the wall. So they had people like Chris Hedges, who I don't know if you remember him. He's not, I think, very visible in the right uh, media landscape. Um, he was the guy. He was a New York Times reporter, and he went to a graduation and basically said, you know, let's stop this, uh, you know, rush to war after 9-11. And they booed him off the stage. And then the New York Times came down and tried and told him that basically he has to apologize publicly for these comments or whatever. And he said no. And then he said, I quit. Um, yeah, I don't and, even know his name. Yeah, look, look for Chris Hedges on YouTube and you'll hear, um, you know, you'll hear some things. This this guy was uh, brought up in uh, a uh clerical you know family uh he's i guess ordained himself but he uh left to become a journalist and um he was um well it, if you look him up you will you'll find some uh interesting things and he's he's one of these people who um i've met a couple in my life um people that actually sort of, you know, walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Really wanted, was working for peace. Well, yeah, he he's very anti-war now, but it's because he was in war zones. So he was in Bosnia. He was in uh, Iraq, you know. Um, so... Um, but yeah, he's just somebody and, and he has a book, uh, you were mentioning a lot of books. He has a book that I just finally got my hands on. I don't know how old it is, probably, you know, shortly after the Iraq war started called war is a force that gives us meaning. And he documents sort of some of the things that he went through. Um, and you said his name was Chris Hedges, Chris Hedges. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go check it out. I, I love people who are actually in the zone. I feel like they have more credibility, more authenticity. 
than someone who's an armchair general or is a journalist who never leaves their little enclave. I, oh, yeah. I like to read these types of books. This guy has a ton of authenticity, and he's also um, extremely, um, you know, disaffected or, or ill-affected, uh, you know, with uh, the liberal media. And he's one of the first people that'll point out, like, you know, how, how um, you know, the, the, the entire left media is so focused on, you know, this creating Putin as, as the monster and, you know, call to arms and all this nonsense. And like, they don't even like, like, I think it was mentioned in, in the show today that um, how Condoleezza appeared on Fox news and sort of, you know, made such a obvious, you know, fool of herself or whatever, because, you know, she's just as guilty you know, as as Putin of of launching, uh, you know, a war against, you know, a people, you know, in an unprovoked, completely unprovoked in our case. Um, I digress from that a little bit because I do think we had a year after 9-11 when there was a lot of debate. They didn't go in the next day. They didn't go in the next week. There was a lot of back and forth making the case. And then I do think they felt like there was a coalition of countries that agreed that we needed to go in and do something about Iraq. And, and I think she was speaking from that, that, you know, this wasn't just some unilateral thing that she did. She was obviously secretary of state at the time, but, you know, I think she felt like they had the world behind them. Whereas with Putin, this, this war just, you know, it feels like it just showed up. And I personally think the Biden administration has been doing things to provoke what Putin did, knowing that he would do it. Yeah, I mean, like, like to me, um, clearly Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11, but Saudis had quite a bit to do with it. You know, most of the hijackers were Saudi. Um, But. As far as like, you know, there's been however many years of basically low level war. Uh, I, I don't even know how how you would call it that low level. Like if, um, you know, if uh, I don't know what's the closest thing in Texas to Mexico. Um, offhand. You mean, you mean the state? Yeah, like in Texas, what city's close to Mexico? Oh, I don't know, Amarillo or that sounds that sounds like a good one. Yeah. So if if you know there was eight or nine years of people firing, you know, munitions and killing up to fourteen thousand people in Amarillo, you know, from Mexico. Do you think we'd feel justified in going over there? <laughs> well, it's why I agree. I disagreed with Glenn's take and Q's take on the Palestinian conflict. I just feel like these are not comparable. I mean, there has just been a lot of back and forth between Israelis and the Palestinians. And it's not like no, you can just say that we've just, you know, run over... Uh, the Palestinians will set up shop in nursery schools and hospitals 
just so they can have those human shields. These are facts. And so I, there's also stories about that coming out about the Ukrainians that they have. Fortunate that you have that perspective because to me, the perspective is, you know, these, these Palestinians, teenagers are throwing stones and the Israeli army has the right to shoot, to kill children even. And then for instance, Hamas sets off a rocket which has the ability to maybe destroy one apartment, not one apartment building, one apartment in a building. And Israel will rain hellfire from the sky, you know, tons and tons of munitions upon, you know, whatever, wherever. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's hard for me, uh, because I know you and I don't see the same media, but it's hard for me to, um, you know, I talked to a lady the other day who told me, oh, when Israel bombs a building, they notify the people before they bomb it so that they can get out. And it's like, really, really? <laughs> you know, well, these, these are the things that I read and, I'm also a Christian, so I have this kind of biblical sense about Israel and its place that's, in the world. That's what I don't get. What is this this Christian obsession with Israel? Is it because we're waiting for you know the um, you know the prophecies to come true for for um, you know the rapture, which isn't even really in the Bible, but it's this weird American like traveling minstrel show concept that's, you know, been propagated for so long, like cowboys and Indians. Like we all think the Indians were scalping people. Now the Europeans were scalping Indians and selling their scalps on the streets as a souvenir for like the equivalent of a quarter today. That's who started the scalping, <laughs> you know, but all we ever see in the in the movies is, you know, the cowboys are are these barbarians who are, you know, scalping people. Well, there's some very specific prophecies in the Bible, and I'm also a Mormon, so there's also some prophecies about Israel in the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants and the other holy books that I study, very specific about Israel's role in the end times and Jesus Christ coming back to the earth. We call it the second coming that Israel had to be made into a state and um, it, it miraculously became it what it is. And they're out there defending their defending themselves. And one of the I, prophecies is that all of the nations would be basically rising up against Israel and they would just kind of be backed into a corner. And that is when the savior will actually show up. So these are very specific prophecies. Mm -hmm. So, so then from the Christian perspective, we're basically waiting for enough nations to rise up against Israel to, to like be ready to crush it so that Jesus will come back. It's not even waiting. It's just recognizing that, that these are the things that have been claimed and said and um, that Israel will be protected. And, you know, the, the Jews do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So one prophecy, I think it's in Isaiah, specifically says that when Jesus Christ shows up, 
they will ask him, you know, what are these marks in your hands indicating something happened to you? And he'll say, I'm the same one who was crucified. And, you know, these nails went through my hands and that's the, the scar that you see. And so it will be then that many Jews will begin to really recognize that Jesus was and is the Messiah. So given given that, I, I, I think you would agree that Jews understand what the Christian perspective is on, you know, the second coming. I don't think they do. I, I don't think they acknowledge the New Testament. They only have the Old Testament in their their books, you know, and so I don't know that they are waiting for the Messiah to show up in Israel and show him the prints in his hands. I mean, I know they follow the book of Isaiah, but. How I'm not good with friends with Jews to know what they believe. No, I'm not going against what you believe. But what I'm saying is, how can you explain how Israel is so overwhelmingly successful at manipulating the American political system? If they don't understand what's going on over here. Oh, I think they understand that they've got a lot of supporters in the Christian community. And and perhaps they understand our prophecies too. I don't know. I'm, but, I'm um, actually do. So so they're kind of like laughing all the way to the bank, so to speak, because you know, like for instance, you know, Trump said, you know, okay, you can, you know, you can have Jerusalem is is the capital. Um we're you know, we're recognizing that and i don't know if trump knew or not it doesn't really matter but the fact is that that sort of outraged millions of people of other religions primarily the muslims who all holy sites in jerusalem well you know his own daughter converted to judaism and she's raising her kids as Jews. And so, you know, my guess is Trump knows a lot, knew that that would make some people upset. But um, America had been promising to do that for decades, and he finally made it happen. So <laughs> we don't yeah. need to divert into Israel because we'll never stop if we start talking Israel, Palestine. And and I need I need to run, but it is so fun to talk to you. I hope well, you'll come yeah. back. It was. I, I, I will. Uh, I'll keep an eye out for you the next time because I do try to catch uh, Glenn's show. Um, so thank I you for I this. Think I think it's the best show on Colin. And he has so much street cred as a journalist. It just never stops. And I think he's one of the most courageous journalists in the world. And so it's an honor for me to host a show, you know, at, right after when he and Q are done. We just diverge on the history a little bit. I I have to bow down to these authors who I respect and love when they're telling the story of what communism has wrought on the world. I trust I trust those voices, especially Zheng Chang with well, her biography of Mao. I just yeah, think that well, Mao Mao was and like Mao and Stalin were both really brutal dictators who were responsible for the deaths of millions. No question about that. So, but I guess what, what my feeling is, is that like communism is always conflated with 
Stalinism and uh, Maoism and, you know, the actual idea of communism isn't all that like wild or crazy. It's just that in America, we've totally conflated it with, you know, the Russian and Chinese uh, versions of it. And meanwhile, in the same manner that, you know, we, you know, now we're, we're all about, you know, let's fight Putin and Zelensky's so wonderful in the same fashion, we, you know, exalt capitalism and, you know, completely uh, despise communism. And then we, most people in this country can't even tell you what's the difference between communism and socialism or why is it that, you know, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, um, even England, but they're trying to take it away. They all have health care and we don't, you know, like well, that. I understand the health care argument where I have issues with the Marxists is how they are using critical race theory, which is a Marxist curriculum to <laughs> to brainwash our little kids. Jenny, it's, it's even working. Critical race theory is a topic taught to law school. I know. I know the argument. I've read the books. Children. I've read Ibrahim's books. I understand the argument. And yet I see what's happening on the ground in our elementary schools. I wish, though, that, that, you know, these people that talk about CRT could show me one public school in this country that's been hosting Ibrahim's books, you know, uh, or teaching out of these books. I, I don't believe it. I don't believe there's even one example of it. And yet well, here I'm, I'm the chapter leader for FAIR, which is the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism out here in Colorado. And I have studied those curriculums and I do know that they're happening. The, the big election we just had in Virginia, where the governor who came in just now came in on the wings of parents having major issues with what's happening in their public schools around this issue. It's with this made up, completely made up thing. Critical race theory is taught to law students. It is not taught to anyone in any public school anywhere in this country. And, you know, for all the talk and nonsense and for like Ted Cruz, like looking like a complete buffoon, you know, in, in, uh, in the Judiciary Committee, um, you know, this is not taught to children anywhere in this country. Well, you're, just, you're just it, not informed because it is, it is being taught. Actual paperwork from one actual school board, you know, where this uh, critical race theory is defined, Jenny, I would love to see that because then I could show all my friends. Okay, well, well we got Oh. Chris, Christopher Russo, you've heard that name, Christopher Russo? Uh, maybe. R-U-S-S-O, Christopher Russo. Go follow him on Twitter and just start reading his stuff. It's all there. Okay. All right. Well, listen, you have a, a lovely evening, and I hope to talk to you next week. I do, too. Thank you, John, so much for coming and joining. And it's joyful to just hash it out. Yeah, I I appreciate it too. All right, you have a good night now. You too. Bye-bye.